Hey, good morning, One Church. How are you doing? Woo, there we go. You guys never fail me. I love you. I love the 1030 service. You guys are great. Make me feel really good about myself because that's where I get my self-worth is from you guys clapping. Um, no, hey, just introduce myself. If you're new with us, yeah, there we go. Uh, if, if you're new with us, my name is Dave Thompson. I am the student pastor here at One Church. I typically um, get to spend most of my time with people I consider not human. Um, so three or four times a year, I get to come, like, hang out with you guys, real human beings, also known as adults. Um, at least most of you are human. Um, and uh, it's, it's just wonderful. I, I love, you know, getting the opportunity. So here's the funny thing. I actually wasn't supposed to teach this week. Like, that was not on the plan. We didn't plan to have me come teach in the At The Movie series. Um, we actually had someone else uh, scheduled, but then they wound up having some, like, emergency trip come up last minute and uh, wasn't going to have time to prepare. So so they asked me, and I thought, I will gladly do so, right? You know, because here's the thing about At The Movies. This is something we've done for, like, the past four or five years where we get to take a movie, a regular movie, a movie that you would see like in the theaters or, you know, on Netflix or anything like that. We take that movie and we're going to break it down and, and, you know, kind of talk about how we can pull a message out of that, apply the Bible to it, you know, make our life better, that kind of thing. And so I, I absolutely love at the movies because I'm like this giant movie buff. Like I love watching movies. Only problem is this has like ruined it for me. Because now every movie I watch, I'm like, oh, that would be really good. That, that would make a good message right there. And Brittany's like, shut up. We're in a movie theater. Stop. You know? And so I, I love at the movies. It's so much fun. And here's the real reason. Like, I have the most adorable almost two-year-old in the world. I know you guys are like, yeah, Dave, you're like her dad. And so you have to say that. Like, no, I have no issue telling my kid if she's not cute. Um, in fact, when she was born, I was like, huh, you know, like she, she was not cute those first couple of days. Yeah, hey, hey, I got the mic, you know, no, uh, she, she was beautiful to me. I'm just playing, but no, seriously though, she, she, I, I actually mean it. Like I'm not just talking my daughter up. She literally is the most adorable, almost two year old to ever exist. She's amazing. Um, but those of you in the room who have almost two year olds or have had almost two year olds really any kid under the age of five or maybe even five after, I'm really hoping it goes away by five, they get obsessed with like a couple movies, right? Like one or two or maybe a TV show, but they like to watch the same episode over and over and over again. So I have two movies that we have watched every day for the past three months. Um, And I still love them. Uh, No, we have two movies I just absolutely love. So whenever they said, hey, Dave, can you come up with a movie to teach on at the movies? I'm like, yeah, I've got one. I know every word to. It's perfect. And I've already told Brittany all of the different you know sermons I could teach out of it. I could do a whole series on this one movie, to be honest. Um, and so as you saw before, we're, we're doing a movie called Moana. Um, a great movie. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's epic. Like, it, it, there's so much like awesomeness about it. It, uh, you know... It's about a culture, like it pulls in like the mythology and the culture of like an area that we don't typically learn about in school. Like we learn about the Greeks and the Romans, but we don't really learn about the Polynesians very much. And so like pulls their culture in and it's wonderful. It's got this like really strong female lead, um, which I absolutely love because I I want my daughter to grow up knowing that like she can be strong and she can be courageous and like she can be the hero too. Like she's beautiful, but she doesn't have to be known for her beauty. She can be known for like being strong and courageous as well. Um, it, it's got a chicken named Hey Hey. I mean, come on, right? 
Uh, it's it's wonderful. Uh, it the the music like the the music in it was written by uh, by uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, the guy who created the show Hamilton, the Broadway musical that broke the Tony Awards last year. Um, like it's just wonderful. It's got the freaking rock in it. Yeah. And I know some internet troll out there. It's got your twit, you know, your Twitter fingers ready. Be like Davis. It's it's Dwayne Johnson. It's not the Rock. I don't care. I don't. There's nothing interesting about what Dwayne is cooking. Now the guy, the Rock. I have a heightened propensity to want to smell the thing in which he's cooking. Like. I just, you know, it's, so it's got the rock, and it's got hey, hey, and it's just wonderful. It's amazing, and I know it by heart. Like, we don't just watch the movie every day. Anytime we're in the car, we listen to the music. We just got back from Florida. 24 hours of driving in the past week was straight Moana. Uh, it's so good. It's so wonderful. But basically, what's going on is is Moana, she's the, she's the, the chief's daughter, and she lives on an island, and she has always felt like there's something pulling her towards the ocean. Like, she wants to go into the ocean. She wants to leave her island. She wants to go past the reef. She, she just feels like there's something pulling her out. There must be something else out there. There must be something further away that she can't see, something more than what she's living with right now. And uh, However, every time she starts to get close, her dad steps in and pushes her back. And so watch this clip just to kind of get a feel for it. Make way, make way Moana, it's time you knew The village of Motul New is all you need The dancers are practicing They dance to an ancient song Who needs a new song? This whole one's all we need This tradition is our mission And Moana, there's so much to do Go trip on the terror route That's all you need Everything we make, we, make. we joke and we weave our baskets. <laughs> the fishermen come back from the sea. Don't walk away. Moana must be on the ground now. Our people will need a chief, and there you are. There comes a day when you're gonna look around and realize happiness is where you are. Consider the coconut, the consider its trees. Each part of the coconut, that's all we need. We make our nest on the surface, the water is sweet inside. We use the leaves to build fires, we cook the meat inside. Consider the coconut, the trunks and the leaves. The island gives us what we need. Right, we stay, we're sick and we're well provided. And when we look into the future, there you are. You'll be okay. In time you'll learn just as I did. You must find happiness right where you are. I like to dance with the water, the undertow and the waves. The water is mischievous. <laughs> I like how it misbehaves. The village may think I'm crazy or say that I drift too far. But once you know what you like, well, there you are. You are your father's daughter. Stubbornness and pride. Mind what he says, but remember, you may hear a voice inside. 
And if the voice starts to whisper to follow the farthest star, Moana, that voice inside is who you are. Uh, Dad! I was only looking at the boat. I wasn't going to get on them. Come on. There's something I need to show you. So, Moana just constantly feels like there's something else out there. There's something pulling her away. That there must be more to this life. That there's something that her village is missing, right? And every time she starts to get out there, she's pointed back. You know, get in your place. Get in your place. Get in line. Stay where you are. You know, the, the village of Montanui is all you need, right? It's, it's you, you, you can just live here on your island. In the same way that, that Moana feels this way, I'm constantly feeling that most of us, we as Christians, we are settling on a very small portion of what Christianity is. That we have, we have grown complacent. We've decided just to live on our own little island, sequestered off by ourselves. We're going to stay here. We're going to stay in this bubble. We're not going to get out. We're not going to go anywhere. We're just going to stay here. And I feel constantly like there's so much of, of the world that we're missing, so much of Christianity that we're missing. We're, we, we chose to live in this boring version of Christianity. And, and I'm constantly trying to figure out why that is, or why do I feel that way? Why do I feel like there's something more? Why do I feel like there's something we're missing? I feel like since the creation of the church, we've just steadily stepped away further and further and further away from what we are supposed to be doing and stepped closer and closer and closer to protecting ourselves and getting on our island and, and just staying there. And, but, but Moana shows like what her village is like now, but I wonder, like, what was her village like before? Like, is there, is there a way that she can look back and see what was going on in the past? And just to give you a heads up, by the end of this message, I'm going to completely ruin the end of this movie. Um, hashtag sorry, not sorry. It's been on Netflix for three weeks. You know, you guys, you know, you, you can waste your time however you want. But, I, you know, I'm just going to ruin it. But it's okay because the end of the movie is just the crux of it all. But how was it before? How was it before this point where she's living now, why is it she feels called? Why does it feel she, she feels pulled out? Watch this clip. Tour, Sammy, Tele, 
we were Voyagers! You see here, Moana has been told every story of her people ever, except for one. You see, there's one story that, that was just so dangerous to their, their way of living, their, their, their lifestyle of just living on this island, on their own little safe, safe island. There, it was so dangerous to that mentality that, that only a select few actually knew it. And it was basically passed down from, from chief to chief to chief, and uh, and they kept it to themselves because if, if word got out, then people would no longer be okay staying here and living here and being a part of this and, and just living on this island. And, and, and so they kept it secret. And Moana, basically, her grandmother, who's awesome, you know, I, I love kooky old ladies, she takes her, you know, to the cave, you know, kind of points her in the direction, but doesn't actually show her, you know, like, you know how people do that thing. So, you know, she goes in, she sees this amazing story, and she realizes that we were voyagers, right? We were voyagers. So the question I have is, what was the church? If the church now, whenever I say the church, I mean the church as a whole, not specifically one church, and I'm including myself in this. Like, we we have grown to a point where we kind of just want to create our bubble, create our island, live in it, stay here, stay safe. What were we? Like, at one point in time, were we something different? And as I was reading the Bible, as I'm studying the, the, the early, the, the beginnings and the creation of the church, the, the birth of the church, I, I found that, yeah, we were so much more. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in, in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 7. If you have a phone, if you have the Version app, you can flip to it. If you don't have any of that, you're new with us, you're like, what is a Bible? Just watch the screen. I mean, you can't miss it. It's gigantic. Like, you know, uh, I'll have it up there. Or if you're, you know, if you're a regular one church person, be like, I'm lazy. I don't want to pull up my phone. Um, you can look at it there. But we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 7. And as you, you're kind of pulling it up, I want to give you, like, some context. You see... There's so much that happens up that, that, that means and has so much more meaning to the events that are going to occur. And, and so basically, the, the New Testament is this. You've got Jesus, and he gets his following, right? He gets his 12 people. He goes around. He does ministry. He tells people about, you know, the kingdom of God and what it's going to be. And, and then basically, eventually, one of them, like, turns traitor, and he goes and, like, turns Jesus in, and Jesus gets killed, you know? Like, you guys know the story. He comes back alive three days later. It's what we celebrate at Easter. He spends 40 days here on earth with his 11 now, you know, his, his 11 close followers, and kind of teaching them about things and telling them about stuff. And, and then he's about to leave. And he's like, hey, I'm about to leave, so I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to say. This is like my final thing. This is like the one thing I have for you. If you do nothing else right, I want you to do this one thing. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes. Like, that was it. <laughs> you know? He, he just goes. He raises up, you know, he's gone. All the followers, his, 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 you know, his close disciples, they, they start doing the thing that Jesus told them to do. They start telling people about Jesus and who he was and what he did and the good news and how you can have life through him and that God loves you and that, you know, Jesus was the son of God. And, and so they're just telling everybody and thousands of people start flooding into to following this, this new movement, this, this thing, you know, the church, the, the ecclesia, the, this movement, this thing that's happening. And, and, and it's all because they start going and doing. They start going and doing. 
And they keep going, and they keep going. But, you know, it's not, it's not just like an easy road. You know, some of the leaders, like Peter and John, like they get, they get arrested for, for going out and telling people about Jesus. And they're, they're beaten, and they're locked up, and eventually they're let go. And, you know, they're just trying to scare them to get them to stop. And, and, and it keeps going, but, but they don't stop. They just keep going and telling. They just keep going and telling, going and telling. It keeps going until you, you get this guy, uh, this guy named Stephen. That's really where we come to in our story today. This guy named Stephen, he, uh, he, he's doing the same thing that, that was done for him whenever he came to know, you know who Jesus was. And he's going and telling, and he's, he's out there talking to everybody, telling them you know, this, this really long message. It's an amazing, amazing sermon. Like I, I would love to go into that, but Luther, the time Nazi, said I only got like 39 minutes, so I can't, but... I, like, it's just so good to so go read it for yourself. It's the, uh, the chapter 7 of the book of Acts, but he's out there talking to them, and, and basically where we come in is the religious people of the time are upset with Stephen for the things he's saying. And so that's where we're going to come in to uh, chapter 7, verse 54. It says, The Jewish leaders were infuriated, I just kind of gave that away, uh, by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fist at him in rage. Now, these are the same leaders. I just want you to get this under your head. These are the same people who are responsible for killing Jesus. These are the same people who led the charge to have Jesus killed. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, clearly there needs to be more explained here. Jesus was killed because he claimed to be the Son of God. And now, Stephen is standing out claiming that Jesus was the Son of God. You see, the early church were basically heretics. They were, they were you know, breaking religious laws. They were breaking the laws of the Jewish people. They were out there saying something that the Jewish people saw as blasphemy. They were heretics. And so they could have been killed on the spot, but he doesn't care. He, he continues. He's out there teaching, and they're getting upset. Let's keep reading. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He didn't just say that Jesus was the, the Son of God. He didn't just say that Jesus was standing at the, at the right hand of God. This is something deep in Jewish culture. This is a, a belief that was held a long time that there would be a Messiah and he would be seated at the right hand of God, the side of honor. He's claiming to see him. Like it's just getting worse and worse for these Jewish leaders. How do they respond? Verse 57 then they put their hands over their ears and begin shouting. These are grown men. I expect it from my child. Like, seriously, like if I was anywhere that wasn't church, you know, you're a grown butt man, dude. Seriously, act like it. I just don't like, I can't make this up. It's crazy. Put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. If you don't know what stone him, I'm not talking like in the, you know, you live in Washington State sense. Okay. It's where they literally take stones and they chuck it at their heads. They throw rocks at him until he dies, basically, is, is, is what stoning someone is. 
begin to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats. And this is so important. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now I want to talk about Saul for a moment. Saul, what they're doing by going out and taking their coats off and laying them at his feet is basically showing deference. In other words, Saul is the leader of this gang. Saul is the guy who is leading the charge. He may not actually be the one throwing the rocks. He, he's the one who is essentially rallying these people against Stephen. They go out, they lay their coat down at his feet, basically saying, at your authority, I'm going to go stone him. Jesus, or Stephen, realizes that soon he's not going to be living, Right? He says, Lord, receive my spirit. In other words, I'm dying, so please take me. Please bring me to you. The thing about this is, the reason I want to talk about this really, the reason I'm talking about this specific story is hopefully by now I have completely and copiously convinced you that the dangers that these people faced in the first century are far greater than any danger any of us in this room have faced here in America. That here in America, our faith does not get us killed. Here in America, we don't, we don't face those issues in the year 2017. I'm not saying it's not happening in parts of the world, but I'm saying here in America, we don't face those same dangers. We don't have those same fears. We, we don't have those same enemies. They faced dangers. They faced people uh, charging up. They faced goon, you know, gangs of people coming at them. They faced, you know, being taken into the uh, Colosseum and, and fed to tigers and lions. They faced being put into bags and beaten to death. They faced being drugged through a desert. They faced being tied to, you know, out in the middle of nowhere with no water. They faced being burned. They faced being stake, uh, beaten. They face so many dangers, but what happens is they don't stop. It just keeps going. I, there is not any bit of sense, sense as to why the church survived the first century. It makes no logical sense. But they kept going. If they had decided to stop, it would have died. What I love is Stephen's response in, in verse 60. He, he goes on to say he's literally, he knows this is his last breath. He knows that pretty soon he's going to go unconscious and then he's going to drift away. He knows that very soon he's going to die. And what I love, he, he falls to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. I love stories. I love stories. Like, I love reading stories. I love stories about heroes. And I always envision myself being a good guy. I do. Like, I always envision myself being the hero of the story. And don't lie. You do, too. You know it. Like, I, 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 like, I like watching things about zombies sometimes, you know, whenever I'm not too scared. But I, I like watching things about zombies. And I always envision myself as being one of the survivors who's, like, fighting away, trying to stay alive, you know, keeping themselves from the zombies so that they don't get eaten. I'm fat. I would have been a zombie before the movie started. Like, I realize this, you know? Like, I, just be real. Like, I love Harry Potter. I do. I have, yeah, whoo! Just went to Harry Potter World this past week. It was magical. 
I didn't cry or anything. My childhood coming to life around me. It's beautiful. Um, you know, I love Harry Potter. I love to envision myself as like Ron or Hermione. Oh, not Hermione. Harry. There we go. Wrong H. But, you know, I'm probably like Neville. And not even like cool Neville in like the later books, like, you know, fat Neville from the first book, you know, who can't remember anything and he falls off a broom. Um, like, I'm not that cool of a person. I would love to say that looking back on this, if I was Stephen, I would have done the same thing he did, but I wouldn't have. One, I probably wouldn't have been out there preaching, knowing what happened to Jesus, knowing what could happen to me. I would have been too scared. I would love to say that I was Stephen. I would love to say that even as, as like, if I did get up the courage to go out there and preach and, and they start stoning me to death, that I would, like, pr- I would ask God to, like, forgive them the same way Stephen did. But you know what? I know I probably wouldn't have. My prayer would have looked like this. Lord, kill them. Kill them all. Send your angel of death. Slice their heads off. Disembowel them. Kill their whole families. I want them all dead. Send your fire. May they burn in hell forever. That would have been my prayer. I know it. But Stephen, he says, Lord, forgive them. Stephen's last breath was so concerned with love of the people killing him. That's amazing. I wish I could be half the man of Stephen. But I know I'm not, and that's okay. Like, it's not okay, but I wish I could be. His last, his last word, and I'm trying to figure out, like, why? Why, Stephen, why were you able to do that? Why is it that you're, you literally have stones th- hurling through the air at your head, and you decide to say, Lord, don't charge them with this sin? Why were you able to do that? The answer is clear. They were so full of love that they didn't have time for anything else. They were so full of love for all of mankind, for all of the world, that they didn't have space for anything else in their heart. Let's talk about home. They were so full of love that they didn't have time to get upset over a scene in a Disney movie. They were so full of love that they didn't have time to fear anything. Because that's what it's really about, right? It's moving out of fear. Just like Moana, they're stuck on this island because of fear of the big bad monsters out there, right? And that's why we decide we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're just going to move away from our original mission. We're going to lock ourselves up. We're going to create this safe space. We're going to keep ourselves in this little area. We're going to, you know, we're going to stay away from those big bad monsters. We got to keep our kids safe. We got to keep ourselves safe. You know, what if they hear a bad word on a radio? It's moving out of fear, and this is the problem with fear. Fear is the most crippling thing that could ever happen to a movement. The most crippling thing that could ever happen to a movement. Fear. Fear communicates that I am for me. Fear communicates that I have to protect me. Fear communicates that my needs are more important than your needs. Fear communicates that I am greater than you. Who wants to join that? We choose to live under the authority of fear. We allow fear to gain authority on our lives and on our decisions and where we're going to go. Which really brings me to my big idea. My big idea is this. 
love selflessly instead of fearing selfishly. Because fear is selfish. Acting out of fear is selfish. Love selflessly. That's what the church was created for. The church was created to go out and love selflessly instead of fearing selfishly. Fear makes us shut down. Fear makes us stop listening. When was the last time you just listened to someone? Fear keeps us stuck. Fear keeps us in our place. Fear keeps us from moving forward. Fear kills the movement. You know, I, this, a couple summers ago, my dad took, uh, we were up in Louisville, and I was riding around downtown Louisville with my dad, and he points out this, like, big, beautiful church. I'm t- the thing was amazing. Uh, it was really neat looking, really old, you know, structure. Um, I, I love kind of that old architecture, um, but beautiful. And he goes on to tell me that, like, it has a movie theater in the church. Like, we're a church that meets in a movie theater? They're a church that has a movie theater. Like, could you imagine if we were a church in a movie theater that's in a church? It'd be like a church inception, some mad stuff. But, you know, it has a movie theater. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, it also has a bowling alley. I'm like, man, that, that's so cool. Like, I'm thinking about student ministry. I'm like, that would be, like, the greatest outreach ever. Like, you know, come bowl for free with us, you know? I, like, I'm lucky just to get some, some chalk to draw a four-square thing on my, my you know, my, my uh, concrete. Um, one kid got it. He's like, yeah, I played that four-square. It's awful. Um, no, like, it would be so great. It's so, such good outreach. But, you know, like, he, he, he goes to explain to me. He's like, no, you're missing the point that they have a movie theater and they have a bowling alley so that their members can bowl and their members can go watch movies without having to be with non-Christians. Ouch. Like, that, that type of fear. And, and, and the reason I find this so important is because, like, what's at stake? You see, Moana, she just feels that she has to go out there. She has to finish this thing. She has to accomplish her mission, her journey. And her mission was to take the heart of Tafiti, that green stone you saw her get in that first video, right? She has to take it all the way to Tafiti and put it back in because her heart was missing. And, and because of that, life was kind of falling apart all around her. And what's at stake is, is, you know, she basically, she has to get there and she has to give the heart back to Tafiti, but she gets there and Tafiti's gone. She went through monsters. You know, you got the, the giant crab, Tamatua. You've got the, the lava monster, Taka. But when, when she gets there, something crazy happens. Tafiti's gone, but she turns back and she sees. Watch this clip. Tefiti, it's gone. Let her come to me. 
Moana realized that that monster wasn't really a monster. You see, Tafiti had the heart taken from inside her. How could you expect her to react or act in any other form or fashion if she has a giant hole where her heart should be? You see, so many of us in the world, and I was this way at one point in time, and so are you, are missing a big piece of us. And you see, here's the thing. Just like Moana realized that with Taka, the story with Stephen and Saul isn't over. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but Stephen's dead. Yeah, I know, but, but that moment, that last moment in his life has so much more impact than you could ever imagine. See, Saul goes on a rampage. He's going from town to town with his goons. He's got permission from the religious leaders just to go and kill all the Christians. And he's going from town to town to town to town, killing everybody. He can find all the Christians he could find, just killing them. And, and along the way, I'm sure throughout the time he's traveling, that thought of Stephen, again, this is, a, uh, this is extrapolation. I can't completely say this is true, but I can just imagine that that wouldn't leave someone. Like that would be playing in the back of my head over and over and over again. Don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin against them. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he act with pure love instead of fear? And he's going and going and going, killing everybody, and then Jesus winds up showing up. And again, all this is, I'm really going through a whole lot of Bible, but Jesus shows up and, and, and he blinds him. And so the, his goons kind of put Saul in a house in a village somewhere, and then there's a guy named Ananias. Now, Ananias, he's, he's another Christian who's probably on the run from Saul and his goons, right? A Christian who's out there, and, and, uh, and you know, God kind of shows up to him. I can't remember if it's a vision or, like, a dream, but tells him, hey, go find Saul and heal him. He's blind. Now, again, I would like to say that if I was Ananias, I would be like, yeah, yes, Lord, okay. Go heal Saul. The truth is, is if I was Ananias, I'd be like, nah, nah, dog. Not going. Hashtag, he gets what he deserves. 
Hashtag not doing it. Hashtag nuh-uh, no way. But thankfully, Ananias is ten times the man I'll ever be. Ananias gets up knowing what Saul did to Stephen, knowing what Saul did to a lot of Ananias' friends. I'm sure Saul himself killed some of Ananias' friends. Knowing this, Ananias gets up and he goes to Saul and he puts his hands on him and he heals him. And in that moment, he goes from Saul, the killer, Saul, the, you know, the eliminator, Saul, the Pharisee. He goes from that to being Paul, the apostle. Paul, the one who goes throughout all the Mediterranean and plants all these little churches throughout the known world. Paul, the one who wrote like 60% of the books in the New Testament, who have, we have all these letters from him. Paul, the one who went out to do so many great things. But he was a monster that we should have been scared of and we should have hid from, right? That's why I want this church to never be a church that makes action out of fear rather than out of love. And so I, I end this with just kind of a challenge to you. Ask yourself the question. Look at some of your actions. Look at some of the things you've said about people. Look at some of the things, the decisions you've made about people, the preconceived notions you have about people. Think about groups of people. Think about countries. Think about people who need our help and need our love. Think about these people and ask yourself, is my notion, is my decision, is my actions towards these people out of fear or out of love. Because the moment we choose fear, we take a huge step backwards. And I believe that if we all start moving towards love, if we get away from the us for us mentality, if we get away from Christians for Christians mentality, we could change the world. But it starts with us answering the question, am I acting out of fear or am I acting out of love? Let's pray. God, I love you. God, I just want to say thank you so much for being a God who is determined to use groups of people like ourselves. God, thank you for allowing the first century church to survive and for keeping them pointed towards your mission, which is loving every person. God, I ask that you bring some of that back into here. You bring some of that back into us. You give me the courage to choose love instead of fear, and everybody else in this room. It's in your name we pray. Amen.